Before I read the scripture that really is at the core of today's message, I'm going to take a few moments for a little personal item that might, uh, might actually help with that sermon. Hear these words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. On January 2nd, 1972, 51 years ago next Sunday, I was licensed to the ministry in the Waynesboro, Pennsylvania Church of the Brethren in the 10.40 a.m. worship service by my pastor, Sam Flora, Jr., and the district representative who was your former pastor, Harvey S. Klein. I was licensed at 11.18 a.m. So this is 51 years ago now. All through my schooling, elementary school, high school, and the beginnings of college, I had known in the back of my mind that in some way or another, I wanted to be headed into a ministry but I didn't know what the direction that would take. I had dabbled in social work at Dixon House in South Philadelphia. I had worked at a number of other positions that were about serving the needs of other people, often those who were less fortunate than myself. But a sermon in 1971 in my home church caught my attention. The scripture was from Luke 4. And if you know that chapter, you know it's the one where Jesus went back home to Nazareth once he had begun preaching. And he went to the synagogue and he opened the scroll, as was his custom. And he stood up to read and he read the words that I began with. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind. These are the words that we have announcing Jesus' ministry. When he was done and he closed the book, he sat down and he looked at the people and what did he say? He said, this day these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And something about that caught my attention. The words of a prophet 400 plus years old had been the words that Jesus used to tell his hometown folks 
that he recognized his ministry and that God had called him to speak the words of God. As my pastor began his sermon, he looked out over the congregation and he said, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he went and began talking about how somebody sitting there might indeed be experiencing a call from God to take up the mantle, to accept the call of God to be a prophet and a priest, someone who could speak God's word, whether it was in public worship or in private counsel and comforting ministry. Something changed in me that day. Something became part of my life that I could never put down. And so here I am, 51 years later. I spent 40 years as a pastor, an interim pastor, a children's pastor, and a hospital chaplain. I spent six years in what would be described as free ministry, a minister in a church that is not the pastor, is, is not employed by the church, but works in the ministry of the church. And there were four years I spent in one form or another of social work. All of that, all of that was being willing to answer the call and accept the mantle of the prophet and the priest and to know that in some way or another I must take God's word and speak it to a world that so desperately needs it. And can you think of a, wor of a time in your life when the world needed that message more than it does today? I cannot. I thought the world that I was becoming an adult in in the 60s and early 70s was as messed up as the world could be as our nation was struggling with understanding a war that did not seem to make sense and which many people resisted, including many of us in the Church of the Brethren. I saw a world where people died of starvation when there was plenty of food to feed everyone in the world. I saw a world where cruelty often won out over kindness, and I could not imagine a time that would be worse. But in some ways, today is both better and worse. And I want to tell you today that it's my turn to say, somebody here may be being called. I don't know who it might be, but God does. I believe someone here needs to take up the call, take the mantle, be a prophet, be a priest, be the minister that God calls you to be. If you are here today and hear these words and something begins to change within you, do not fight it, but instead accept it. And so I come to the words chosen for today. These come from the uh, first chapter of John's letter to the church. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 10. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, 
what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Today's sermon is a lot different than what I usually use as a style. My own words will begin the sermon, but very quickly I reach a point where all I am going to do is take verses from John's letter to the church and read them to you. Because I think they speak to the heart of what we as Christians need to proclaim at a time like this, the beginning of a new year as we go through tonight and into the morning tomorrow. I think they speak better than words that I could choose. But I do want to give a little context first. John summarized God's very nature and character when he wrote his most common couple of words. God is love. He also contrasted godly love with human love. He says of godly love, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, God, because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, and I might at this point interject and add, or simply doesn't care about his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. John recognized the contradiction that someone could love God and somehow not care about his brothers and sisters or even those far afield from his own immediate life. 
He knew that we humans can distort the concept of love to make it mean just about anything we want to make it mean. But God's love is not like that. Godly love always puts care and concern for the other first. Let me repeat that. Godly love always puts care and concern for the other first. John understood godly love. He knew it because Jesus had demonstrated it to him and the other disciples. He had watched Jesus live by it and apply it for three and a half years, and John knew where godly love came from and how mankind should express it. He believed in it, and he practiced it with all of his heart. So what can we learn from him? Whoever obeys God's word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. So, if we obey God's word, we are loving. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. When we stumble, it is because God's love is not really in us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us as the children of God is because it did not know him. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. For this message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's good and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help. There's a famous Peanuts cartoon in which the first panel is Snoopy sitting outside his doghouse in the snow, shivering. And Charlie Brown and Linus are in the next panel and Linus says, I think Snoopy's cold. And the third panel has them standing on either side of Snoopy, and Charlie Brown says, be warm and be good. And Linus says, yes, be warm. And the fourth panel, is Charlie Brown and Linus walking away? 
How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's good and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed to, this, to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we live in love, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. God can abide. God can live within you. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars, for they do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen. How can they love God whom they have not seen? The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent, loves God in other words, loves the child, whether we're talking about that being Jesus or us. So let me read that again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love one another and obey his commandments. I told you, I don't know, six months ago, that Jane and I came to this church initially to visit our old friend, Joel Noggle. We were looking for a church and had just moved to the area and we visited Carlisle where Jim and Marla Aby were at the time and then we came here where Joel was pastor but we didn't come back because of Joel. 
We weren't going to choose a church based on who was the pastor. Having been a pastor for a long time, I knew that was a bad way to choose a church. But you know, that very first Sunday, it took almost 10 minutes for us to move from our seat in the back of the BLC at the 1045 worship service out the door. Not because Joel and Kathy were talking to us, but because we were greeted by a number of you. It wasn't long after that we were introduced to the concept that this church expresses its love in action by being invited to uh, join the midweek, back when it wasn't midweek to go, but it was midweek inside the BLC. And I saw you feed your neighbors, the people round about you in the neighborhood, and some of the folks that you know that even are beyond the neighborhood, but could use help with a good meal and a bit of a program. If God's love is in us, it is expressed not so much in our words as in our actions. And I saw that love of God in so many of you, reaching out to the people you'd never met before. Because to be honest, Joel and Kathy were the only people we knew in the congregation at that first Sunday. And I knew that if you reached out to us that much, asking questions about who we were and what we might be interested in and matching us up with some things that were part of the church's program, I knew from these words that I read to you today that if God's love is in you, then it will be expressed by both your words and your actions. But it is the actions that take primary place in my estimation. I had a lot of disagreements with the high school and the school district in which my children grew up. They all graduated from Fort Hill High School in Cumberland, Maryland. And I wasn't always happy with the, with the, the schools in Cumberland. But you know, the first time I walked into the high school building, I felt at home for one very interesting little reason. The school was built by the WPA during the Depression and as many schools build in that time, it had this beautiful brick and concrete structure that was raised up with a big portico where the main doors were. That entranceway had, I think, six doors leading in, three sets of double doors. And you go through those and there's another set of doors and you go through those and you're standing in what in a church would have been the bottom of the bell tower. And there was a doorway across that hallway and above it was a concrete frieze that had embedded into it the words that I shall now speak. Deeds, not words. And that became what I hoped my children would gain from four years in that high school the realization that it is the things you do in life that count more, more powerfully than the words you speak. Jesus himself said there will be many in that day, speaking of judgment day, when they will say, Lord, Lord, you know, we praised you. We, and he'll say, I do not know you. And the scripture tells us that the people that did what he said they should do 
would be the ones who would receive his most precious gift, his blessing. Do you love God? That's not a rhetorical question. I don't usually ask those during sermons, so let's try this again. Do you love God? Yes. Still not convinced. Do you love God? Yes. See, that's almost like Jesus and Peter. I had to ask you three times before it really was there. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he was a bit frustrated when Jesus asked him again. And then again. But Jesus' answer was not go preach, go say words, go quote scripture. What did Jesus tell Peter he was to do if he loved him? Feed my sheep. Tomorrow begins a new year for our church. The past year has had tremendous struggles, has it not? We have come through some tough times together. But tomorrow begins a new year, and that new year brings some promises, doesn't it? We have a new pastor coming, a new senior pastor, the beginning of March. We have had tremendous help from the interim pastoral team that stood in that absence of a senior pastor, working far and above the call of duty, going the extra mile many times, enduring both sacrifices and having been struck down and, and hit hard by things that probably shouldn't have happened. But we as a church struggled through that time and we are here today to affirm one thing, I believe, that we love God and we love one another. It is only as we live out that love that we can continue to proclaim God's love to other people in our actions. And if you think people aren't watching, your neighbors know you go to church, don't they? They know that you profess to be a Christian, don't they? They know that you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't they? When they notice what you do, I'm hoping they notice that it is in line with what you say. For John tells us, anyone who says they love God but doesn't love their brothers and sisters. And that's not just the people in the church, that's everyone that's around us. We're all supposed to be children of God and we should treat all of them as if they are people of God. If they need help, we're supposed to help them. If they're downtrodden, we're supposed to try to help lift them up. If they're discouraged and battered by life, we're supposed to be the people who encourage them and if they don't know Jesus Christ, we're the people that are supposed to provide the introduction with both our words and especially our deeds. So we have an opportunity presented to us. The Chinese word for opportunity includes a note that it might be dangerous. And I believe that. We have an opportunity this year. There are great things coming into our lives together as 
the Chambersburg Church of the Brethren as the Fourth Street Congregation. But that presents some danger. The one that I've heard people talk about is financially, it's a stretch to go forward with the kind of staff that we have envisioned. But operationally, it's a struggle. The new pastor won't know us. He won't know our foibles. He won't know who has sometimes the ability to stir up a problem and, and, and who it is that can help keep that person on track. He won't know who's related to who. He won't know where the brush fires are that need to be kept under control so that they don't become raging fires that can consume us. The first year of a pastorate is a dangerous time for both the pastor and the congregation, so be ready. Be ready to put out the fires. Be ready to not start a fire yourself. Be prepared to not only love God, but to show you love God by how you love one another. That means if you have something to say about someone, you say it first and only to them. You keep your peace about it in every other way, unless maybe sometimes you might consult the pastor about the trouble you're having dealing with someone and what you should do about it. I'm sure our brother will have wonderful words to share with us in those moments. But what we don't do is tell everybody else. What we don't do is share every little thing that might touch us or hurt us or strike us as not quite perfect. Perfection only comes in one way. By loving God and loving one another. I had intended to share a song, but I'm not because of the time. I do, however, want to share a few words from it. This is my, if you will, New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to live up to this, and I know I'm going to fail once or twice, but I'm going to keep trying anyhow. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let your love increase. Walls of pride and prejudice shall cease when we are your instruments of peace. Where there is hatred, we will sow his love. Where there is injury, we will never judge. Where there is striving, we will speak his peace to the people crying for release. We we will be your instruments of peace. Where there is blindness, we will pray for sight. Where there is darkness, we will shine his light. Where there is sadness, we will bear their grief to the people crying for release. We will be your instruments of peace. Amen. Well, I've gone and done it. I lost my bulletin. Next, we're singing one verse. Uh, prayers. Prayers. Ah, okay. Thank you. I learned, I learned a way of praying a number of years ago from an, a 
Episcopal brother of mine, was something I grew up unfamiliar with, but he taught me. If we're people of God's love, we pray for the people we like and agree with, and we pray for the people we don't like and don't agree with, because even when we don't like people, we can love them. So the way of praying goes like this, and I invite you not to bow your heads and close your eyes, but feel free to look around the room at the people you're with, or if you're uncomfortable doing that, just look up here. But it begins by praying for the people who are our leaders. So the prayer would begin, Our Father, we pray for our president, Joseph. And we pray for the leaders of the Senate, Mitch and Charles. And we pray for those who are leaders in the House of Representatives, Michael and Hakeem. And we pray for all the people working under them. We pray for our government, that it might somehow be filled with your love and your grace that it might fulfill your will. And we pray for the people of our country, every state, in our case, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and its governor, Josh, and all those who serve under him. We pray for them all, Lord, the ones we find ourselves agreeing with, and especially for those who we do not. Mind us together that we might be your people, not just here in church, but in every day of life. We pray for our church, this congregation, and all of those churches around us. May we all be filled with your love and your peace and the grace of your son, Jesus. We pray for the church around the world, struggling as it may be with oppression in many countries and malaise in others. Bring your church together, that your people might be in unity, unified by their acknowledgement that your son Jesus is the savior of us all. We pray for our families, our own and the others that we know of. So many people seem to be struggling with illness and the results of accidents and the things that can strike us down and take away our energy and interfere with our ability to witness. And so, Lord, we ask that you give us your grace in that as well. We pray for the ministries of our church and of all the churches, that we might be your people, that we might be filled with your love, and that we might do what you say. Lord, give us your grace and your peace and the words to share in Jesus' name. <laughs>